0: Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice.
1: This is Mary Murphy, and ready or not, it's time to get wicked.
0: Warning, the Wicked Library is a horror fiction podcast. ...created for a mature audience. Our stories contain graphic descriptions of pain, murder, violence, blood, betrayal, and inhumanity. Monsters win, people die, and hope is often shattered. There is also beauty, heart, catharsis, and raw emotion. Fear may be deeply personal, but we all share it. If at any time a story takes you to a place too dark... Turn on the lights, press pause, or press stop. And always remember that unlike in the real world, these nightmares and your participation in them are under your control.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Season 11 of The Wicked Library. This is episode number 1112. My name is Brianna Morgan. I'm the author and playwright of works such as The Trick-or-Treater and other stories, Unboxed, Mouthful of Ashes, and The Reyes Incident. I love horror because it allows me to explore darker facets of humanity without having to experience the darkness myself. I also like sci-fi because it's compelling to me to imagine how my everyday world could change with just one new technology or scientific discovery. Today's episode was written for us by Cameron Ulam. I also want to thank the listeners who are currently supporting the show on Patreon. You truly make this show possible and allow us to make sure those who contribute to the show don't work for free. If you're not yet supporting the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary. For as little as three bucks a month, you can help make the show you love possible and get fun rewards. A lot of hard work and money goes into making the Wicked Library, and we really do rely on this support to help us pay the authors, voice actors, composers, and artists. In addition to knowing that you're part of making this show possible, you also get rewards like ad-free episodes at higher bit rates, access to bonus stories, and at higher levels of support, even more. You can support us at patreon.com the wicked library. All right, our story today is titled Dr. Spellini's Dream Machine. Once again, this is written by Cameron Ulam. Our storyteller is Daniel Foytik. The custom score is composed by Nico Vettis of We Talk of Dreams. More info about all of them and of course myself can be found on the Wicked Library website. Thanks for listening.
0: Dr. Spellini's Dream Machine by Cameron Ulam. The clinic's chair felt like a piece of slate, its frigid plastic draining my soul out from my partially numb rear end. I shifted. It was no new experience. I had waited in a dozen other soulless chairs in a lot of other rooms just like this one, crisp and professional in their level of uncaring. The white coats who inhabited these rooms often exuded just as bleak an aura. Their tight-lipped smiles stretched as they buzzed about me, poking and prodding, spewing questions that drew answers for me like blood into a needle. It was always painful, these questions, but they were trying to help. Trying to help me find my answers. God knew I'd been searching alone for far too long. A woman walked into the clinic. The same secretary that had guided me in from the lobby. a laminate badge stuck out side-skewed from atop her jacketed collarbone. Spalini Industries. Its letters were bold and embossed across the tag, like the keys of an old typewriter. The company name sounded familiar, and simultaneously like some frothy Italian dessert, something sweet and comforting, which this office was anything but. The secretary’s smile, however, was welcoming. "'Anything I can get you, Mr. Moldovan? Coffee? Tea?' I shook my head, thanking her. "'I have a really tight schedule today, Miss...' "'Jacobs.' She flashed a set of two white teeth. "'Nurse Jacobs.' I did my best to return her enthusiasm. "'Miss Jacobs, then. As I said, I do have a tight schedule, and was under the impression that we'd be finished up here by noon. I have a meeting downtown at one. Looking down at my watch... I felt a second flare of impatience. Already 10.36, my appointment had been scheduled for 10. Not to mention the amount of money I'd paid to sit around and wait on someone else's schedule. I don't mean to be rude, but do you think we'll be starting things anytime soon? The smiling nurse nodded, picking a bit of lint from the collar of her starchy lab coat. The doctor is prepping the instrument as we speak. It shouldn't be more than five minutes, Mr. Moldovan. I apologize for your wait but I do assure you it will be worth it. We've done wonders for hundreds of patients. I am sorry for the loss of your brother. Her mouth split into another out of place grin as she disappeared out through the clinic's swinging door, leaving me to stare at the undecorated canvas of the wall. Forty years had passed and I was still receiving fake sympathy from strangers. A solid 20 or so minutes had passed when an elderly, white-coated gentleman finally shoved his way in through the door. He held it open for a second man, this one substantially younger, who pushed a creaking metal cart inside, locking its wheels at the room's center. Mr. Moldovan, is it? The old man in the white coat jutted a hand out, gyrating my arm in his stiff grip. How very nice to finally meet you. Dr. Richard Spellini, but you can call me Rich. "'We've spoken on the phone, I believe.' The doc was much older than his voice had given away on the phone. I'd pegged him a budding 40, yet here he stood, his worn features and gray fuzz skull suggesting a man in his mid, if not late, 70s. Eccentric-looking, as his voice had hinted at on our calls. I slid my fingers from the grip of his calloused vice. "'Yeah, I remember. Thanks for speaking with me directly.' I have dealt with hypnotism, olfactory stimulation, the works. But I have never had this specific service. Does it take very long? I glanced once more at my watch. It would be a miracle if I made the deposition at this rate. Dr. Spellini spun away from me, hobbling to circle the metal machinery that sat atop the push cart. The aide who had entered with him took a long step backward, assessing the room with the wide eyes that matched my own curiosity as he stepped out of the pacing doctor's path. The assistant seemed to know as little as I did. Dr. Spallini flipped a switch along the machine's side. The metal monster sputtered, choking with newfound power, then word to life. A dozen candy-colored lights beaming and flickering as the machine steadied into a confident hum. While a dozen others flickered, two red lights at the center of the machine beamed bright and steady glowing with the intensity of hot embers, looking much like a pair of eyes as they leered out at me from their unblinking iron lids. There she is! The man gave the machine an affectionate slap, whirling to face me. Always takes her a minute to warm up. She's a stubborn girl. James? The doctor tapped his hands together twice, a clap-on, clap-off gesture that brought his dutiful assistant to his side. Please prepare the headset, just as I've shown you. And don't forget the pads this time. We want Mr. Moldovan here to be as comfortable as possible. The assistant rolled his vibrating cart up next to me, kicking its power cord out from in front of the wheels. Okay, Mr. Moldovan, do you have any questions for me before I place the device? Once we begin, the process may not be interrupted for any uh, extraneous reason. The words sounded scripted as if the man were reading a reference card from the back of his hand. I shook my head. No, Dr. Spillini and his nurse gave me the rundown. I'm just supposed to sit here and dream while you guys, what, watch the screen? The assistant's mouth hung open, eyes darting to the doctor, who stepped forward to rescue the man, intercepting the wired headset with a chuckle. (laughs) Just about, Mr. Moldovan. That's the best way I can describe it. He adjusted the width holding the set over my head with a questioning gaze. I nodded, and he set the icy metal atop my hair, settling each of the double-pronged rubber edges into the soft flesh of my temple. The man slid a pair of foamed sleeves over each edge, setting them back in place atop my head. Bearable? I nodded. The headset, even with the ear pads, wasn't anything I would describe as comfortable. It felt primitively designed, like wearing the ends of a bent clothes hanger as a headband. The doctor bent down in front of me, leveling his face with mine and patting me atop the headset like some mutt. "'Well, Mr. Moldovan, this is where I leave you. I'll be in the other room, guiding you through the treatment with my voice. James here is going to give you something to help you sleep.' "'You remember the process I explained on the phone?' I nodded once more. "'Just sleep and experience the dream.' It really works, then? I need real answers here. I need to be able to watch it go down. Laughter rolled up from the doctor's stomach, which he held in with his palm. <laughs> I think I think you're going to be more than impressed, Mr. Moldovan. You just sit tight and trust me on this. He gave my shoulder a final pat before moving for the door, his dress shoes clicking across the spotless tiles. He spun back once more to shout, Guaranteed full refund for any unsatisfied customers. (laughs) Okay, Mr. Moldovan. Just relax. The voice was tinny, resonating in my head like the voice of God across a distant plain. I turned to accost the doctor's assistant, who nearly flinched away from my question. How's he talking? Can you hear him? The skinny man shook his head, drawing lilac liquid into a needle from a plastic vial. Sweat lined the folds in his brow. "'I only started working here a few days ago, but from my understanding, sir, it's through some sort of bone conduction?' James leaned toward me, flicking one of the headset prongs against my temple, which was starting to tingle, numb with the clamping pressure. let him get straight into your head. Pretty neat, huh?' Dr. Spillini is in the other room speaking into a set of microphones. "'Lay your arm flat for me, sir.' I did as he asked." the soft underbelly flesh of my forearm exposed up under the room's fluorescent lighting. How's a guy supposed to sleep in a room this bright? The cold needle pinched as it slid under my skin, releasing warmth that spread up my arm to my shoulder. I smacked my mouth, a tinny flavor puckering the back buds before my head lolled to the side. I fell into darkness, and it smothered me in a matter of seconds. Mr. Moldovan. Get up, please, Mr. Moldovan. You can't stay where you are for much longer, or... Mr. Moldovan! I let my eyes crack open. Piercing sunlight bled into the slit. I winced, forcing through pain as I willed my vision to adjust. A bed of waxy sawgrass rose beneath me, its softness teasing my palms. Where was I? Children laughed somewhere in the distance as the blurry world around me finally came into focus. There you are, Mr. Moldovan. That's better. Get your bearings. What is this? Where am I? Why, you're still fast asleep in my chair, Mr. Moldovan, just as we discussed. What you're experiencing now is called lucid dreaming. I lifted myself from the dewy grass looking down at my hands to see the cut imprints of the blades in my reddened palms. It feels real. This is a dream? A sigh in my head, one that had expected me to say that. (sighs) Yes, yes, that's what makes it lucid. Now come on, test out your sea legs, champ. We need to get you out of sight. The blaring sun above nipped the back of my neck. I wiped at it, my hand coming away slick with sweat. Incredible! I looked up into the sky, the cotton clouds above wispy with detailed and bending thread. No dream of mine had ever held such clarity. Hell, most of the time I woke from dreams in a hazy fit, with nothing to show for the experience but blurred pseudo-memory. Another sigh from the back corner of my mind, this one holding a tune of impatience. We really haven't time for your self-exploration, sir. There's a limit to the time you can stay in this... uh, State? Right, sorry. I turned. The open yard a familiar stretch of weeds. A rusted playground set teetered atop the earth a few meters away. The chain-link swings clattering as they swayed, caught in a strong breeze. The set brought back a rush of memory of blazing adolescent summers, sunburns, and scraped palms. I'd come out to the swing set as a child each time my parents got to arguing. As the house boomed with echoes of their shouts, this swing set had been my perfect escape, the place to throttle myself up into the air as if I weren't really there, as if I could lift right off the seat like a bird and collide with the sky. I swallowed hard, The vertigo of familiarity rocking my gut. Are they inside? Yes, they are. And so are you, William. So is your brother. What are they, we, doing? Your mother's cooking supper. You and your brother are upstairs playing with your favorite set of plastic dinosaurs. The ones your grandmother Ruth got you for Christmas. Your father is at the motel with his secretary. Jesus Christ, man. There was a pause, then the sound of scattering papers. How was the doctor speaking through my dreams? Just reading from the transcript, my apologies. Another pause. Now, Mr. Moldovan, I'm going to need you to walk towards the house. But do your best to stay out of sight. Our subconscious mind does not like to be observed under such a fine, detailed light. Makes it a bit nervous. Find a place inside those bushes. There, by the window. Hunched forward, I scuttled up the lawn, burying myself behind one of my childhood home's adorning evergreen shrubs. The kitchen window sat just above my head, the living room a few yards to the left. If I hung back too far from the house, someone would surely catch sight of me. And apparently that was taboo in this dreamscape. Pressing my chest as close to the dusty siding as I could, I lifted onto my toes, my eyes cresting over the frame as I squinted in through the glass. A room that would never leave my heart came into full view. Inside the kitchen, my mother, young and radiant, sat perched atop a familiar yellow dinette chair, her thin legs crossed under the round table with the local paper in one hand and a mug of coffee in the other pin stabbed at some clandestine corner of my soul my mother had passed away two years ago lung cancer finally winning the battle near the end she had resigned to the disease her white flag flown willingly as she vowed to find a sense of peace before her death if not for herself then for her family's sake but she had fought in the end like we all do gasping for breath and clinging to life with unmatched ferocity mucus and tumor drowning her in her own hospital bed and here she was now as if by some miracle healthy and sipping her coffee scanning the sports section as she had always been so inclined unaware that life would make a cruel turn on her in the end like it does for so many of us a thousand emotions whirred through me as I loomed there My pressed nose fogged the glass as I looked on a nearly forgotten life, one that would never be lived again. I fell away from the window. My mother would recognize me like this, would she not? She would offer me one last embrace, see her son through the shell of his time twisted body. What it would be, I thought, to wrap my arms around her one more time, to hug her tight, once more in a cancer-free body that would not wheeze and gasp when I squeezed. My fantasy remained just that, however, as at that moment the house's back door burst open, throwing itself wide into the sunlit porch. Two boys thundered across the concrete slab, cackling as their sneakers flew across the yard. I flattened myself back against the house as the voice of Dr. Spellini flooded my mind. Yes. Stay there, Mr. Moldovan. Hold tight for a moment. Is that... that... you? Why, yes, sir. It appears to be so. You really were a gangly child, were you not? I breathed in deeply, the air tight as it burned the lining of my lungs. There I was, in all my prepubescent glory, dirty blonde Bob flying out behind me as I ran circles around the creaking swing set. My filthy Chuck Taylors kicked up loose clods of earth in pursuit of my younger brother, Philip, who screamed a willing victim's delight. I remembered this game. One catches the other while running around the playset, but the center sand is lava, Offsides. Whoever is caught becomes bound to the other's chores for the day. Our own fun little gambler's spin on the classic game of tag. My own invention. I marveled at what a hustler I was even as a child. Dr. Spellini echoed in once more, from what I remember of your prior memory transcript, your brother will run toward the tree line in approximately 20 seconds. You, er, the adolescent version of yourself, will take off after him around three seconds later. Allot yourself at least 30 full seconds before initiating pursuit, and once again, "'Do your best not to be seen, Mr. Moldovan. "'You will save us both a headache.' I didn't require his second warning. The mere thought of my own dreams catching sight of my intrusion gave me chicken skin. No fool to nightmares, I slowed my jog to a steady pace, well behind the two familiar children, being sure to tread lightly atop the pine-littered floor. The green needles flexed under the soles of my dress shoes. A sound, muffling cushion... Far ahead, my brother thundered down a sloping bed of river gravel, causing an avalanche of tiny pebbles to cascade down after him. In hot pursuit, the younger clone of myself slid down the hill after him, surfing the heels of his boots before colliding with dusty earth below. Confident in my pace, I attempted a similar slide a few lagging moments later, tumbling back on my ass and cracking my head on the pebbled slope. Stars flooded my sight mixing and shimmering with my bottom-up view of the windy treetops. "'Oh, hell! Mr. Moldovan! Are you all right? Mr. Moldovan!' The fact that I was still conscious was a miracle. I did my best to answer, my lips two rubber-worms as they attempted a response. "'I'm fine. I'm fine.' A moment of silence followed as I lay there, staring into the sky. The distant sound of children laughing— filled my ears. It faded farther and farther away, followed by a subtle splash. I had nearly drifted off into a concussed stupor when a high-pitched shriek rocked the forest, cutting around trunks and branches and piercing my already humming ears. What was that? Who screamed? "'Philip!' I cried out. "'I'm going to bring you back, Mr. Moldovan. You've run out of time, I'm afraid.' An invisible string tugged at the front of my mind, and I could feel something pulling at the meat behind my forehead, stretching it out along some infinite plane. As the thread grew longer, the pull of my flesh grew tighter, and tighter still, until pop. Waking in Dr. Spallini's chair was one of the most unpleasant experiences of my life. Arriving back in the conscious world brought mind-bending pain. Without thought, I brought my hands to the back of my head, cradling the throbbing wet shell that was my skull. Pulling my hands away revealed blood, even more shocking. I heard my own yowls like a spectator, flexed backward atop that god-awful chair. My head throbbed with hot electricity. Mr. Moldovan, you need to calm down. voice of the doctor, a rage, spitting blood. "'You said it was a dream.' "'Only a dream, Mr. Moldovan.' "'Well, how do you explain this?' I shoved the palm of my bloody hand in the direction of the doctor's face, who never flinched from where he stood, only stared at me, with his lying mouth pursed to a rosebud. The clinical assistant remained flattened against the sidewall. "'Time travel is illegal, doctor.' not sure you are quite aware of this. My voice was rabid. The clinic's assistant peeled himself away from the wall, rushing a towel over to me and flinging it atop my lap before retreating to the shadows. I daubed it against the back of my head, wincing as the piling fibers scratched my open wounds. I want the entirety of my payment back immediately. If not, rest assured, I will be taking swift legal action against you and your clinic. The doctor's jaw clenched visibly under his loose skin. Regardless, a smile forced itself upon his lips. Oh, that won't be necessary, won't it? The man's expression twitched but never faltered. Would you offer me a moment's explanation, Mr. Moldovan? I don't wish to waste any more of your time, I assure you. The stinging at the back of my head was beginning to numb. I pulled the towel away, seeing less blood than expected and nodded reluctantly. The doctor clasped both of his hands behind his back and began to pace. His shoes, a pair of dirty white trainers, squeaked across the white linoleum. Do you know anything of dreams, Mr. Moldovan? I opened my mouth, but Dr. Spellini continued without pausing for an answer. Do you know that in this day and age, with all of our societal and technological advances, a dream is still one of the world's most unsolved mysteries. One of our greatest puzzles. His still-treading feet stopped in front of the machine, which sat quiet and steaming atop the push cart. The doctor laid a loving hand on it. So, while, yes, it is true that I can send you off to another place in time, which, let's just assume, is what I did today, an eye lifted as he addressed me, It is currently impossible for me to escort you into your own dreams, sir. It has not yet been done. So you're a hack. The blood was boiling at this point as the realization struck. I had been duped. A time-traveling con artist. The doctor huffed at this, mumbling under his breath as he returned to pacing the floor. (laughs) I would have assumed someone with as much legal education as yourself would understand. Understand what? What are you playing at? He looked at me sternly now, as a grandfather would glare at a misbehaving child. That what you ask for is impossible without bending the law, son. I sat forward in my chair. I asked you for a way to remember, doctor. For a way to refresh those old memories. To see if I had missed something terribly important that day. Some detail the police might have found useful. Something they could have used to find my brother. To learn what actually happened to him. I allowed myself a pause. My voice was beginning to shake. A pathetic wetness forming along the back of my throat. I would not cry in front of this man. I asked for closure. What I did not request was a chance to relive the most horrible day of my life, doctor. I looked up to see the clinical assistant had excused himself from the room. Dr. Spellini sighed. "'Can you not see the potential in my method, sir? It is illegal. Illegal, yes, but dreams are irrational. Unreliable, even.' The doctor approached me. "'Even if I were able to guide you into the passages of your own mind, we would be relying on your memory of that night.' memory, might I remind you, that was bottled by the flighty mind of your childhood? And you would pay top dollar for that? Offer your savings for your crumbling dreams? You truly believe that that would give you answers? The doctor snorted. (laughs) And I took you for a man of intelligence. Ripping the headset from my temples, I tossed it on the floor in front of him. You've put my life at risk without my consent. Simple as that. I'll see you in court, doctor. Snatching my coat from the wall, I draped it over my shoulder before bursting through the swinging door out to the main lobby. The nurse at the front desk avoided eye contact as I marched toward the door, pulling the zipper as I cursed under my breath. She peeked over her magazine and pretending as though she had not been listening to the ruckus peeped, Have a nice day, Mr. Moldovan. I slammed the office door behind me, shocked the glass hadn't broken. Settled on the stairs is a better way to blow off steam. The tears didn't come until I had descended the 11th floor, falling against the wall as a rush of emotion bricked me over the back of my head. It had really been him. It had really been Philip. The next few days were a nightmare. Every possible case going haywire at work, as if my firm hung under a perpetual full moon. I scrambled to stay focused I was working a few insurance cases and my partner would have my ass if I let that sort of money fall through the cracks but I couldn't concentrate my mind felt jellified and every time I tried to hone in on the task at hand my mind scrambled flipping on edge and reeling me back to that scene in the forest I couldn't get it out of my head after three days of barely billable hours I decided to take a mental health day didn't tell the soul at the firm about that. To the lot of them, I was out with a stomach bug. Lawyers don't have mental health day in their repertoire. The terminology itself was taboo. Coffee started the morning off of my first day off in nearly a year. Work was important to me and also the reason I remained a 51-year-old bachelor. i had never married and had never wanted to. The firm stole enough of my life away. I didn't need some other parasitic spouse latching on and claiming the other half. I enjoyed my freedom. My friends had told me many a time that this job was going to kill me, that I was letting it. They were right. Spot on, in fact. The end of each day at the firm brought with it a sensation of dread, like the noose of my necktie had wound around the minute hand, drawing tighter up with every tick. I poured a second cup of charred brew, after gulping the first in a matter of seconds. This time around, I allotted myself the luxury of powdered creamer. If this were to be a day of mental rejuvenation, I'd have to stop abusing my body with my old habits and try something else for a change. Self-care. Just thinking the word brought a chuckle as I sank into the flattened cushions of my leather sofa. The mug felt warm in my hands as I lifted it to my face, letting the steam drift up under my nose. I shut my eyes. Silence. Somewhere down below, in the moldy depths of my basement, the furnace kicked on. An electric hum I had never noticed filled the air of the room with static tension. I adjusted in my seat, trying my best to relax. The furnace droned back off, my living room once again heavy with silence. Light played off the back of my closed eyelids as I breathed, forgotten beams of daylight that lingered in my corneas. I watched the lights until my concentration was broken by the sounds of screaming children, howling children, children in trouble. My eyes flashed open, and I ran to the window that hung halfway open, heart racing in full fight-or-flight mode. I scanned the streets, my eyes darting in a frenzied panic in search of the danger. A group of neighborhood children skated across the pavement of my cul-de-sac, brandishing plastic hockey sticks out before them and whacking in tandem at a rubber puck. One of the boys made contact with the puck, driving it into the opposite goal as his opposing teammate's hockey stick cracked down hard upon his back. The boy cried out in agony and stumbled out of his skates, cursing as he pulled his helmet off and swung it down over the head of his smaller assailant. So this was the ruckus. I returned to the couch, my hands trembling so violently I had to set my coffee down before it spilled all over the carpet. Why had that startled me? My hands were clammed with sweat, the same dew starting along the small of my back. I could smell it, the kind of stress sweat would have legs if you swirled it in a crystal glass. God, what was going on? I was experiencing a visceral reaction to the sound of children playing in the street for Christ's sake. That night passed with a blur of half-attended television shows and multiple rounds of greasy junk food. Each time I tried to peel myself from the couch, I'd feel my limbs go weak. And sink back into the dented cushions pulling my cell up in front of my face to scroll mindlessly through reddit and social media it was a habit I hated and one that I clung to the most when distracted or anxious throwing my mind into a world of manufactured instant gratification that had never helped nor did it that particular night I think somewhere in the depths of my subconscious I knew I would not be able to sleep and by putting off the walk to bed, I was just putting off the inevitable. When I finally did nod off to sleep, it was around 4 a.m. The moment my mind slipped into darkness, I was falling back into a too-familiar dream, the same one I'd been having for 42 years since the day my brother had vanished. It was the dream that had first prompted me to visit Dr. Spillina's clinic. Like clockwork, the dream brought me to the overgrown trail behind my childhood home, the same dusty path I would watched my brother sprint down only a few days ago in Dr. Spolini's chair. Only this time around, I was back in the body of my youth. The quality of the dream was vague, blurred blobs of shadow stretched and whirring lights bent as they passed through the dense forest of pine, an inkblot world. The black smear of my brother ran ahead of me, weaving through the branches of low-hanging fir, disappearing only to resurface on the other side of a thickly barked trunk. If only I could see him more clearly. As I chased after him, my own two feet felt like barbells pounding down upon the dusty forest floor with a guttural thud, impossible to lift, as if I were running through pools of spilt molasses. "'Come on, Tim!' You slow poke The voice of my brother from up ahead buried a weight in my chest, making it all the more difficult to run. He needed to stop. He needed to slow down or or else or else what? I gritted my teeth and pressed onward, forcing my way through the saccharine air as I opened my throat to yell Phil, where are you going? To the river, silly. Just you try and catch me across those slippery rocks. Laughter rang out ahead and nearly vomited from the deja vu, if one could vomit in dreams. Doing my best to keep up, I exerted all my mental strength. It made no difference in this place. My pace remained constant while my brother sped onward, a maddening lag. By the time I'd reached the bottom of the hill, Philip was gone. Only the sound of his voice reverberated back through the pines. I searched the foggy gaps between the trunks, desperate not to lose sight of him, like I had done in this position so many nights before. The flashing outline of his sprinting leg, somewhere far down the hill and closer to the river. Phil, wait! A spine-straightening scream shook the needles off the trees around me. I sank to the forest floor, covering my ears, watching the familiar memory pass before my eyes. A nightly spoon of medicine I no longer wished to take. It happened the same way every time. A shadow elongated, stretching out from the distant brush, snatching with predatorial accuracy, as if it had been waiting for little Philip to approach all along. The blur of my brother was bathed in smothering shadow, and in a flash screaming boy was dragged up into the emerald treetops. His cries snuffed out as the shadow of his foot disappeared last into the branches with a blinding flash of light. I let my hands fall from my ears. The forest was brimming with a new sinister silence. My steps were no longer gooey. I made it to the water's edge in a flash Stopping just below a massive, gnarled pine. At the bottom of its blistered trunk sat a solitary red shoe, its canvas powdered with dust. I reached down to grab my brother's sneaker. The moment my hand curled around the laces, I was already shooting up from my bed with a gasp. Another week of nightly dreams made me question my own resolve. I couldn't go on like this. Actualizing only three or four hours of sleep a night was not sustainable. The firm offered me no sympathy. Manila folders stacked upon my desk at the same rate they always had. And by the end of the week, I had a concerning tower leaned against the side of my monitor. Something had to be done. And I knew where the root of my insomnia lay. I picked up my phone... Not my work phone, but my cell. Making this call on company property didn't seem wise. A bright voice greeted me by name on the other line. Good morning, Mr. Moldovan. Miss Jacobs speaking. How can I help you this morning? I looked around my empty office, making sure no one was standing on the other side of the door's textured glass. How did you... pause followed by an impatient breath the voice was syrupy sweet once more would you like to make another appointment sir or dare i ask are you calling us your own legal representation no no i pulled the phone closer to my mouth hunching over it and shielding the receiver with a cupped hand i haven't been able to sleep ever since since my last appointment this time i paused did i really want to do this I. Miss Jacobs? I'd like to schedule another session with the clinic, if you'll still have me, of course. Please offer my apologies to Dr. Spallini. I know he may not wish to see me. I just. don't know what else to do. The voice of the familiar nurse was flat, unmoved, but cheery all the same. Well, sir, I will run it by the doctor, but I don't anticipate it will buzzing static. You see, Mr. Moldovan, we're fairly used to these types of outbursts in our clinic. We deal with warping the clock. Some patients find this mildly unsettling. You'll have nothing to apologize for. It's unique work. I could practically hear her cherry-red smile stretching through the receiver. We have a one o'clock session available this Thursday. I held my phone in a death grip. I, uh, yes, that'll do just fine. The sound of fingernails clicking down upon a keyboard. Then you're confirmed. Have a lovely afternoon, Mr. Moldovan. You, you too. I swiped the call off the screen before the last word had left my mouth. Anxiety buzzed through my hands. It was a satisfying, decisive finality in what I had just done a feeling of refreshment, as if I had finally jumped into the ocean of answers. It would not be easy, returning to Dr. Spelini's chair, but I needed to know who took my brother, needed to know who was responsible for tearing my family apart, needed to understand who was to blame for bringing on the early stress-induced death of my father by heart attack, my mother's widowed depressed life. Whoever was responsible for my brother Was responsible for all of our suffering. Some monster, pedophile maybe, had stolen light from my family, leaving only loss and shadow. And I knew there would be no more passivity, no more waiting around. At this point, I needed the answers for my brother more than I needed to breathe. The second appointment moved more rapidly than the first something i was thankful for my nerves settled like the moment i stepped back into the whitewashed clinic a trauma response no doubt if there was anything more dramatic than being unknowingly flung back into childhood to watch your dead brother prance down a trail to his own abduction i would like to know what exactly that was and how likely it was but it also involved the practices of dr spellini doctor of what i found myself wondering as I shifted atop the familiar rock-hard chair, I hadn't noticed any plaques or framed paperwork in the lobby. None of the dusty diplomas or local awards with which clinical professionals love to plaster their walls. I had no concern this doctor was educated, but in the field of medicine, I now had my doubts. Dr. Spalini arrived in a similar fashion as the prior appointment, exploding through the swinging door, while his skinny, almost teenage assistant, pushed the carted machine in after him. Thank you for reconsidering your previous threats, Mr. Moldovan. I'm happy to see you back. The doctor busied himself readying the machine, his eyes refusing contact with mine, no matter how hard I tried to catch them. Threatening to sue is not a threat, doctor. I watched him move about the machine, pressing candy-colored buttons and untangling random wires i could see i was not going to get any engagement inside i am sorry for my behavior last session doctor to say i was rattled would be putting it lightly i hadn't expected the experience to be so lucid so real with this the doctor's beady eyes magnetized to mine he pushed his glasses up the bridge of his nose and nodded I understand, Mr. Moldovan, and I do accept your apology. I am partly at fault, I fear. Taking the sensitivity of the situation into account, I should have prepared you for the emotional toll the transcendence would bring. However, he smiled, I fear I could not have done so without ratting myself out. Dr. Spillane coughed, lifting the double-pronged headset and sliding foam cushions. "'on each end without looking, as if he had done it hundreds of times. "'It is true that in this clinic we use time travel "'as a means to give our patients a glimpse of the past, "'whether it be for exposure therapy and the healing of traumatic scars, "'or, in other cases such as yours, to gather information lost by time.' "'He put the headset over my brow, and I leaned forward to accept.' I hope you know I intend to help you find your answers, at all costs. Yeah, $60,000 is the cost, apparently, I thought. I kept my musings quiet. Is there a way for us to start deeper in the forest this run? I think I think that might be where he was taken. I've been having these dreams. S- someone was waiting for us down there, I shivered. Never having had spoken the words aloud, not to anyone, not even to myself. The implication of what could have happened, even to myself that day, hit me like a bolt of lightning. Could have been me. What if I had been the one sprinting ahead? Sir, a reminder, if I may. Dr. Spallini plugged the headset jack into its outlet. A crackling feedback leaked into my right ear. In matters of science, never put your faith in dreams. That being said, yes, I see no harm in starting you on a different vantage point. The doctor flipped a switch, and a second crackling sound buzzed within the left side of my head. We're not here to change the future, Mr. Moldovan, only to observe the past. I'm sure you understand the implications of such a misstep." working in the profession you do. A grim expression whitewashed the doctor's wrinkled face, one that aged him another ten years beyond his already elderly complexion. Do not meddle in this place. The results could be disastrous to you, to all of us. I nodded. Absolutely. Over the course of my career, I had worked on a dozen or so bizarre cases, concerning the use of illegal time travel, each time representing the government's prosecuting party. Most outcomes were paid in the form of monetary settlements, as time travel was not often a luxury of the poor man. But from time to time, a case would pop up in the news about some blue-collar nutjob who had managed to piece together a homemade device. Most of these cases involved me arranging a simple property seizure, and a life sentence for the offender. Time was nothing to be messed with. Dr. Spellini looked pleased. Well then, you ready? I nodded, and the doctor left through the swinging door, his timid assistant approaching me from the shadows with another dripping needle. Pine needles prodded the back of my shirt as I woke on the forest floor. The dry sheddings clung as I lifted myself, dusting the legs of my pants as I took inventory of my location. The forest sloped upward behind me to the crest of that pebble crusted ledge. The back of my skull sighed in pain, just looking at the damn thing. Water trickled audibly somewhere in the distance, and I followed the sound until I reached the muddy bank of the Cuyahoga. The river ran high. It must have rained recently. The earth under my feet gave way to putting soft ground. I thought if I tried to run, it would feel much like my dream, where running was an almost impossible feat. This brought a shiver and quickly dispelled the idea, hitting the words of warning from Dr. Spellini, dreams are not reliable. I walked the length of the river, my ear tuned to the surrounding forest. If my theory was correct, someone else would be down here, waiting for two boys, who were my brother and I. Where did my brother's captor tread now? I listened hard, but the forest did not answer. Its only reply, the howling wind, as it passed through the tree's skinny branches. Their piney arms did not bend, only bristled at the disruption. I took in my surroundings. The skeletal arrangement of evergreens around me, with their pegged bottoms and fanned out tops, wouldn't offer much cover. The sound of children's laughter echoed from over the hill. Shit, shit, shit! I ran up along the pebbled ground, my back hunched into a curve until I happened upon a raspberry bush, the thorny bulk of which I dove into without hesitation. Only a breath later, Philip and the younger clone of myself heelsurfed down the pebbled slope, skidding at the bottom and taking off through the winding pillars of the forest directly toward me. I sank lower into the raspberry bush, the prickles catching on my clothing and shifting the branches with every movement. My feet sank slowly into the waterlogged earth, but I dared not pull them out for fear of making a sound. From my crouched veil, I watched as my brother ran past first, leapfrogging over a small boulder and skidding across the mud on the other side. He was sprinting towards the water, towards the river. A prickle straightened my spine. My brother Philip could not swim. I remembered even after all these years, her parents had not been wealthy people. Neither knew how to swim. As a result, they hadn't seen the importance of investing in lessons for either of their children. I had learned to wade in the river on my own, throwing myself into the flammable waters of the Cuyahoga. And finding myself naturally buoyant. No Olympic champion, but I could hold myself up with a dog paddle. My brother, on the other hand, was timid, terrified to venture more than a knee deep into any body of water. My parents hadn't pushed him, and I'd never realized the danger as a child. A thought crept into my skull Philip hadn't been taken, hadn't been abducted by some creep in the night. Philip had drowned. The realization struck me over the head with a crumbling brick, and I rose from my place of hiding, stumbling into the sunlight as I twisted, trying to catch sight of where the younger version of myself would be. It seemed wise to stay out of sight, but the life of my brother was on the line. I could finally save him. I could save my brother's life. Fuck Dr. Spilini and his rules. The resurgence of Philip would be nothing but a tiny blip on the world's map. Would the twist of fate bring with it other gifts? The life of my father, maybe? A few more years of a heart unburdened by the loss of a child could make a world of difference. My mother would still be gone, I thought. That was surely the case. But maybe our mother would be able to close her eyes on a beautiful life. A life well lived and full of love instead of one wrought with infectious tragedy. The life of Philip could change so many things for the better. The maybes were overwhelming, and I cried as I ran, the salty tears streaming into my open mouth as I called out over panting breaths, Phil! Philip! Get back from the river, Philip! But I got no answer. The sounds of my brother's laughter floated up from the direction of the water. I pushed myself, My heart near bursting as I ran, sliding down another pebbled bank with newfound agility. My feet landed firmly on the ground, and from my vantage point, I saw Philip looking back over his shoulder as he ran, unknowingly approaching the edge of a muddy drop-off. The river swirled below him, inflated to a deadly current by the recent rain, its white-crested waters nipping at the air above in hungry ferocity. I would need to be quick grouping of pines offered itself on the right side of the riverbank, and I sped through it, stopping just on the edge of the tree line. There was Philip, stumbling toward the plateauing riverbank, running toward his doom, while giggling like a madman, his black curls bouncing atop his freckled cheeks, not looking where he was going, enthralled with the game, waiting on his big brother to catch him. The boy bent down as he ran, snatching up a giant river rock and launching it into the water beyond. A diversion to throw off his approaching big brother, no doubt. It splashed into the river with a dull thwunk, floating for a breath before sinking into watery oblivion. That moment, I lost all restraint, taking off like a track star from his crouch. The air whipped around me, my gaze locked on Philip. He was all that mattered now. To hell with everything else. A few dozen yards shrank to a handful, and those to meters. As I closed in on my little brother, the world slowed. I felt my limbs moving through honey once more as I inched toward my brother. I saw that he moved at the same unnaturally slowed speed, a smile frozen atop his face as he floated over the grass, but something else approached from the adjacent side bursting out from the bushes in a blitz of blinding light. The figure aimed toward me, a warped outline of simultaneous shine and shadow that seemed to swell and sink in on itself, absorbed by some distant pinhole. What the hell was I seeing? The air left my lungs once more. It wasn't the water that had taken Philip after all. Here he was, the man who had taken my brother, closing in on both of us. The face was unclear, but through the rays of light it was clearly the body of a man. I sprinted forward, fire and hatred burning in my heart as I raced to outpace my brother's assailant, to steal him back from the clutches of his death, to save my family, to save myself. There was a gasp as the there was a gasp as the black-haired boy, my little Philip, spun on his heels his eyes white globes as he screamed up at me. It's okay, I sang as my voice slowed to a drone, time gearing down around us. Everything felt once more like a dream. I've got you. I tumbled forward, letting my arms fall in an open arch around timey Philip. To my shock, they closed around something I can only describe as... Pure electricity. Hot. Wrong. I looked up, arms still locked about the body of my brother. A scream erupted from the approaching shadow. Its mouth opened into a gaping void as it stumbled toward us in slow motion, its hands reaching out to clutch empty air. It was a man. A man in a black suit. With the same red necktie, I had strewn about my neck that morning. The damn thing had taken three tries to get right. It was... me. What was I doing here? And why was I screaming like a madman? Didn't I recognize myself? My own face, my own grown, middle-aged face... twisted in rage atop the body of my approaching assailant. The man who was myself reached out to me like some dying god. Despair and terror lighting its face as it leaned out from a portal spilling brilliant rays of light. Stop! The apparition screamed, but its reaching arms were already dissipating into a pixelated cloud of fog and void. Heart nearly stopped. I looked down to where my arms hung braided about poor Philip heat bloomed under my palms as I saw the face of my baby brother staring up at me with a gaping maw as the atoms of his face, his teeth, his nose, his cheeks, pulled apart from one another in a fireworks display of chaos. I tried to pull away to lift my toxic touch from him, but the gravity was too strong. I was killing Philip. I suddenly remembered the doctor's warnings, but I couldn't pull away. My hands were stuck to him, melting him away, like heated metal. I could only scream as I felt Philip's flesh burning to ash beneath my magnetized fingers. God, why couldn't I let go? Why couldn't I take it back? This was what I wanted. This wasn't what I wanted at all. Pulling my wet eyes up from the atrocity, I spotted a second boy in the distant pines. This one watched me, crouched behind a wavering patch of weeds, his own mouth drawn into a scream much like my own. Atop his head hung a sharply cut blonde bob. It was exactly the one I had been so embarrassed of, the one my mother had cut, only days before my tenth birthday. The blond-haired boy howled, and I howled with him, the sounds of our terror filling the riverbank. I felt my mind stretch into the air, the flesh of my skull bending up into the branches of the pines and into the fractals of a thousand infinities, thinner and thinner. Philip stretching with me, burning up to cinders under the power of my touch, bending and warping and disappearing until pop. I awoke to a world without sound, in that cold, bleak room of clinical white, in that same frigid, plastic chair My mind filled with fog, clouds so thick the thoughts would not come, the words were lost to me. I could hear nothing of my stupor of shock and gutted horror, but I could see. Yes, I could see, I could see the old gray-haired doctor standing over me, I could feel his hands on my cold shoulders shaking me violently. Rattling my body and sending my head whipping as his mouth and brow twisted in rage, in shocked terror. His lips spat. A single tear glided down his flushed cheek, but I heard none of his words, felt nothing. This was a dream. It had to be. I looked down to my hands, which cradled a dirty old sneaker. The cherry-red canvas was coated with a layer of gray powder, a layer of human ash. Hello, and thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. Episode number 1112. Today's author was Cameron Ulam, with her story, Dr. Spellini's Dream Machine, told by Daniel Foytek. That's me. Today's episode was introduced by guest host and TWL alum, Brianna Morgan. Find out more about Brianna and her work at briannamorganbooks.com, including her newest novella, The Reyes Incident. Our lead editor and executive producer is Scarlett R. Algy. Our resident composer and executive producer is Nico Veteze. We talk of dreams. Artwork for today's episode was created by Jeanette Andromeda, our art director and executive producer. Our producer is Meg Williams. Our showrunner and producer is Daniel Foyte. To find out more about today's contributors and our team, please visit thewickedlibrary.com and check out their bio pages. Wicked Library is created by Ninth Story Studios, LLC. All rights reserved.